Micah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. Hopefully you've made, made your way uh, there. Follow along with me as I begin reading here from uh, the book of Micah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may be, bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He, come, he comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him. And the valleys, they split apart like wax before the fire, like water that's rushing down a slope. All of this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? And therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley, and I will lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. I'd like to begin by asking you a question, as often is the case when I begin a sermon. The question I'd like to ask this morning is, what do you pay attention to? What do you pay attention to? Probably during this fall season, some of us are paying attention to our favorite football team. Or maybe we're paying attention to our favorite baseball team that might be playing in the World Series right now, right? We, we give our attention to those, those teams. Maybe we pay attention to our jobs. Hopefully, you pay attention to your job, at least somewhat. Probably for you students, right? Gabe, hopefully you're paying attention to your studies, Right, Lydia, I hope you're paying attention to your studies. Trent and Addie, right? We want to pay attention to our studies, don't we? I'm hoping that those of us who have a driver's license, as, we, as we're driving down the road, I hope that you're paying attention to your driving. <laughs> right? That's a good thing for the rest of us. Maybe you pay a lot of attention to your bank account, your 401k. Maybe you pay attention to a particular hobby that you might have. Or maybe some of us pay attention to our social media feed, giving it our attention throughout the course of our day. Right? All day long, we have the choice of what we are going to pay attention to. Last week, I read an essay that was discussing the, what they call it the attention economy. Right? How a person's attention is a resource that is to be commercialized or commodified. 
right? That there's a constant attempt in our world to capture your attention so that they can monetize our attention for another person's gain. I mean, that's what digital media is all about, right? Is capturing your attention. Everywhere we look, everywhere, wherever we listen, you know, wherever we are, someone else is vying for our attention. At the gas station pump, as soon as you get out of your car and you push the button on which gas you're going to pump into your vehicle, what pops up? A video that wants to capture your attention. If you're a parent, you might have children who are calling out for your attention throughout the course of your day. If you are sitting in a dentist's waiting room, the television might be up there in the corner that's trying to get your, it's summoning your attention. Our phones have a way of capturing our attention with these crazy little notifications, right? We won't, like the phone, it will be sitting there on the countertop for 30 seconds and it will get lonely and so it will notify us, right? Pay attention to me, the phone screams it out to us, right? We live in a world where it is hard to even pay attention to what we're paying attention to. So I wonder, what do you pay attention to? Well, this morning, right now, I hope you're paying attention to the sermon. This morning, the title of the sermon is Pay Attention. And we're going to uncover here and see in this first chapter of the book of Micah that God is getting the attention of his people. And I hope that God, through this sermon, gets our attention too. Now this morning, again, this is, this is new territory. It's new territory for all of us, right? We spent two wonderful months in the book of Jonah. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed the book of Jonah going through that. And, and this week, early on in the week, I was thinking to myself, what have I done? You know, why, are we, why are we teaching Micah? And it's often a, a feeling that I get whenever we're starting a new teaching series, a bit of overwhelmed feeling. And so we're, we're starting this teaching series on Micah, probably a book that, by and large, most of us are unfamiliar with. There are a couple of passages that we might be familiar with, especially leading up to the Christmas and Advent season, but for the most part, we probably don't know a whole lot about the book of Micah. Let me just say this off, kind of off here, here at, the, at the beginning. It's a book about doom and destruction, all right? It's a book about doom and destruction. Micah is, uh, some people refer to Micah as the prophet of doom, Right? How would you like that on your, on your headstone, right? Wesley, the prophet of doom. You know, I mean, and, and that's how you would have to say it if you're going up to the headstone, right? Kelly's like, oh, my husband, he was the prophet of doom, you know? But Micah, it, it is. It's filled with a lot of destruction. It's filled with God's judgment. But woven throughout this prophecy, woven throughout this book, is great hope. Really, we're going to see not just glimmers of hope, but I think we're going to see spotlights of hope, okay? And so think about it. Again, the teaching series as a whole is after darkness, light. Think about yourself walking there in a dark tunnel, and it's dark, but there at the end of the tunnel, you can see that pinpoint of light that gives you hope to keep walking, and so we're, this is what we're studying. That's kind of the overall theme of the book of Micah. That's the overall theme that we'll be, be walking through this fall, 
there uh, through the end of December. But this morning's sermon in particular, these verse, first seven verses, again, we're focusing on God calling our attention. The big idea for this morning as you leave, this is what I hope you walk away with, is that we should pay attention to what matters to God. That we, as his followers, should pay attention to what matters to God. That it's, it is necessary for us to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. And that we should constantly, that every day we should say, we should begin our day and say, God, help me to pay attention to what matters to you. Because there's so many distractions. Everyone else is going to be vying for my attention. God, help me to pay attention to what you're concerned about, to what matters to you. And so the three points, and I'll have these up on the screen uh, here in just a few moments, but just to give you a bit of an overview for the first seven verses, we're going to see how, God, how, how the instruction is to pay attention to God's concern for holiness. That we should pay attention to God's concern for holiness. We'll see that in these, in these verses. Then we're also going to see that it's important to pay attention to the end of God's patience. That, that God's patience um, toward sin, toward us, does not last forever. That in a sense there is an expiration date. And we should pay attention to the end of God's patience. And then finally, we should pay attention to the devastation of God's judgment, right? The devastation of, jo- of God's judgment. And again, right, I, I already told you, there's doom and destruction here in Micah, but there's also hope. And so this morning's sermon might seem to emphasize a little bit more the doom and the destruction, but just stick with us. We'll, we'll get to the hope for sure. Uh, look there at verse 1 with me. And again, we're going to be walking through this verse by verse, and so having a copy of God's Word, either your own that you bring from home, I'd encourage you to do that, then you can mark in it and keep notes, or using one of the Bibles there at the chair, we see that verse 1 helps set the context a bit for us for this particular book of prophecy. We see it says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. Micah is identified as a prophet. Right? We see there where it says the word of the Lord came to Micah. And so Micah's message that he's going to give to us carries with it God's authority. And so not only should we believe this message, but we should also obey it. Uh, these truths which that were sp- spoken to a particular generation in Micah's day, uh, they also have application for us even in this day. Micah's name itself literally means who is like Yahweh. Who is like Yahweh. And that phrase is going to be used there toward the end of the book in, verse, uh, in chapter 7, verse 18. But that's what Micah's name means, is who is like Yahweh. And we see here, right there out of the chute, that unlike many of the prophets uh, who are identified by the family they came from, Micah is actually identified based upon the town in which he hails from. Right, we see there it says uh, that came to, to Micah of Moresheth. Moresheth was, was a thriving agricultural community in that day. And so we understand that Micah's bend uh, probably would have been more like a country boy than a city slicker. He probably would have been more my, kind of, my, my style of guy. Uh, he would have been considered an outsider to politics. He would have been considered a bit of an outsider to the operations of city life. And so Micah's primary task is he is a prophet to the southern kingdom 
all right, to Judah. And keep in mind, uh, this, is, this is right there in the, in the late 700s B.C., Okay, so Micah is ministering here for about 20 to 25 years from the year around 735 B.C. to 710 B.C. And it's during this time, and again, you might remember that that the kingdom of Israel had split up after Solomon's reign came to an end. And so you had the northern kingdom that was known as Israel, and then you had the southern kingdom that was known as Judah. And maybe next week I'll provide a map up here on the screen just to help you be, uh, be able to visualize it. Uh, and so, so Micah is ministering to that southern kingdom that's called Judah. Now, if you remember, there in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is... Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdom and carries them off into exile. And that's essentially the northern kingdom at that point dissolves. Okay, so at 722. So while Micah is ministering to the southern kingdom, what happens to the northern kingdom is Assyria comes and carries them away. And essentially, we'll see that Micah actually uses the northern kingdom as an example in his prophecies, in his teachings. And he's telling the southern kingdom, listen, guys, don't be like the northerners. Don't be like, because look what is happening to them. And so it's like a younger brother who maybe is watching his older brother's mistakes, right? Maybe you're a younger brother, or maybe you're the older brother who makes the mistakes, and mom and dad maybe comes down hard on the older brother, and hopefully the younger brother is like, uh, I'm going to make sure I don't do that. And so, so we get this sense that Micah, who's ministering to the southern kingdom, is almost using the northern kingdom as an example of what not to do. So we see there, then go ahead and continue on in verse 1. It says, during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. It says the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So we can actually, we can put a bit of a time, right? We can say fairly... Con- Uh, confidently of the time span in which Micah is ministering because we know when these particular kings reigned there in Judah. And Jotham was a good king, Ahaz was a wicked king, and then Hezekiah was a great king. And so what you have there is is a line, right? Jotham, uh, his son was Ahaz, whose then son was Hezekiah. So essentially Jotham would have been Hezekiah's grandfather, And so we see that even in that family, right? You have a good king, and then you have a wicked king, a son who didn't follow in the ways of the Lord. And then the grandson, Hezekiah, comes back, and he ends up being a great king. We also know that Micah, here he's a prophet to the southern kingdom, but we also know in the Bible, some of the other prophets, right? We don't don't deal in these, these prophets too often, do we? Because they can be, it can be incredibly confusing, Um, But we know that some of the other books of the Bible, some of the other prophets, they were also living at the same time that Micah was living. Maybe you're familiar with the book, the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who was ministering at the same time that Micah was ministering, only Hosea was ministering to the northern kingdom. You also have Amos. Have you heard of the, the Old Testament book of Amos? 
He lived at the same time of Micah as well. And Amos was a, a prophet to the northern kingdom as well. So you have Hosea and Amos who are, who are prophets to the northern kingdom. And then you have Micah who's a prophet to the, the southern kingdom, to Judah. And then also another prophet at the same time is Isaiah, right? Isaiah is that big book. It's, it's one of those major prophet books there of the Old Testament. Isaiah was ministering specifically to the city of Jerusalem. And so what we had here is Micah, who was the country boy, he's ministering more or less kind of to the outskirts. He's, he's connecting with kind of the down and outers. And you have Isaiah then, who's ministering and prophesying to more of your political elite there in the city of Jerusalem. And so that really, verse one does a wonderful job of setting the stage. You might say, well, what exactly does it mean when it refers to Samaria and Jerusalem? Well, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom, all right? That's the capital of the northern kingdom. So when you, when you see Samaria in this, you just automatically know he's, he's speaking about the northern kingdom. Then when you see Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. So now we... We jump into the first point. Okay, okay, and so he begins here with the word here in verse 2. Okay, and so what does he say? He says, hear you peoples, all of you. What is he telling them to do? He's telling them to listen up. In a sense, like our big idea is, he is saying, pay attention. Pay attention. All right, and this first point is, what does Micah want us to pay attention to? Micah wants us to pay attention to God's concern for holiness. Okay, so let's read here in verse 2. Micah says this. He says, Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may be, bear witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Again, as I've mentioned twice already, I'll say it again and I'll say it again throughout this, Micah is rightly identified as a prophet of doom, right? He kind of puts the Debbie Downer to shame, in fact, as we read through this. He's, he's bringing a message of judgment that God has entrusted to Micah to proclaim. And here in verse 2, Micah is calling for the attention of the world. And in a sense, what Micah is doing is he's setting a courtroom scene for us, right? What does he say? He says, hear you peoples, all of you listen, earth and all who live in it. So it's almost as if he has the megaphone and he's standing there on the hillside of the countryside and he's shouting out and he's saying, listen to what is about to happen. And he says that the sovereign Lord may what? May bear witness, that phrase, bear witness, right, when, when you're in a courtroom scene, hopefully we don't spend too much time in the courtroom scene, but as we've seen on television, right, as, as you see, right, they, they call to the stand a witness of someone who says, this is what I saw. This is what I saw to be true. And so what Micah is doing is Micah is, sa is he's, he's presenting God, or since really God is presenting himself through the voice of Micah, as the prosecuting attorney whose eye see behind the facade we try to live behind. Right? Micah is reminding us here 
as he's warning us. He's standing there and he's saying, listen, O earth, that the sovereign God bears witness. The sovereign Lord sees. He's reminding us and he's reminding the people that it's impossible to hide the corruption. Micah is saying we cannot hide the injustice. Micah was, Micah was, uh, he, he was very concerned about the lowly. He was very concerned about those who were t- being taken advantage of. And so he's speaking to those who, who were taking advantage of the lowly. And he is saying you can't hide it. He's saying you cannot hide the idols that either you've built on the mountainside or for us, we can't hide the idols from God that we have in our hearts. Micah's warning them and he is saying that the secrets are all exposed before God. Elsewhere in Scripture, God's eyes are described in this way, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on evil and good. In Jeremiah, God says, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Or in Hebrews chapter 4, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, throughout his prophecy, again, Micah is going to, he's going to present similar to a courtroom scene where God presents both the evidence and then the judgment. And a judgment for the northern kingdom that God is going to carry out through the Assyrian Empire. And for the, for the southern kingdom later, 125 years later, that God is going to use the Babylonians to carry out his judgment as a tool of discipline. He calls out and he says, God says, my eyes see. Church, I wonder, is there something in your, in your life in your heart that you are hiding, convinced that you're okay because no one else knows about that secret sin that goes against God's holiness. Micah says, Hear, O earth, that the sovereign Lord bears witness. He sees it all. He sees it all. I think here in this first point, we can be we we can be reminded that God does want our wrongs rebuked, doesn't he? Right. Micah is helping us to see that God to understand that God sees our sin. And what what is what is Micah doing? Micah is saying that that that. That we should rebuke that sin, that that sin is going to be exposed and that it, it will be rebuked. That we should not turn a blind eye to our sin, nor should we turn a blind eye to the sin of others. 
Richard Phillips, who wrote a commentary on the book of Micah, he says this. He says, there is something something deeply wrong with a society that stands by while the innocent are injured and the weak are oppressed. There is something wrong with leaders who make excuses for violence, greed, and hatred. And he goes on and he says, and there is something wrong with individuals who stand by doing and saying nothing while evil is openly worked around them. See, Micah is a good example to all of us that we should be concerned about holiness. Not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mike, he's a good example that we should call out sin. And that we should call sin what it is. And that we should speak up and we should speak out. Now, we should certainly be gracious, gracious in our approach, shouldn't we, to how we, to how we call out that sin. But, but it is loving when we rebuke another person who's caught up in sin. In fact, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, you might remember on that day of Pentecost, right? As, as, uh, as the Holy Spirit comes down and, and people are being saved... The Apostle Peter stands and and it says that with many words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And so this this first one, this this first important point is that in Micah's day and today, (laughs) we should be concerned. They, they, They were not concerned about God's holiness. They should be concerned about God's holiness. They should pay attention to it. And the same is is true for us, right? The world is not concerned about God's holiness. And sadly, it seems like even at times we as followers of Jesus are no different than the world. We tend to choose our sin over our devotion to God. And that it's right and it's good for us to sound the alarm. And to warn people of that. Well, we move forward, okay, in this next one. So first, he's sounding the alarm. He's saying, God is going to bear witness against your sin. And he has the eyes and the ability to see even the secret sins. It's not hidden from him. This next one, so we should pay attention to God's holiness. And then next, we should pay attention to the end of God's patience. (laughs) To the end of God's patience. Verse 3 says, look. The Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. Now, what comes to mind as I read that verse, what comes to mind is the parent who gives an instruction to the child. And the child is disobedient and refuses to listen to the parent's instruction. Students in here, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Let's see a a hand. Can I get a witness? Good, Aiden is the first one to acknowledge his sin in here, right? Right? And, and so there are times when we, we just disobey. Either we act like we didn't hear. <laughs> and at times, like sometimes throughout the course of the week, I wonder, how often do I need to get my kids' hearing checked? 
So, so what comes to mind, again, is a parent who gives an instruction and the child disobeys and they just refuse to listen. The parent then issues another warning to them, another instruction. Hey, I told you, do the dishes. What'd you say? And then maybe the parent says a third time, come and do the dishes. And then if they, if, if they refuse, then what do we parents do? Then we kind of revert to this. Don't make me come up there, right? Don't, don't make me come to where you are, or don't make me stop this car, right? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? It seems as if where it says the Lord is come, look, right? Micah says, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. God is like, okay, I've had enough, right? My, uh, my patience is over. Don't make me come down there, right? We've seen those billboard signs, haven't we? Micah sees it happening, and he draws the attention to the listener to see it in plain sight. In a sense, so Micah is receiving the prophecy of the Lord. Not only, he's not only is, is he hearing it, but again, if you look back at verse 1, it says the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so what, what Micah wants to happen is Micah wants the people, he, he wants them to see what is about to happen. Micah sees it and he draws the attention to the listener that God is not going to sit idle. That God will not sit idle by and allow disobedience, sin, and wickedness to go unpunished. That God's patience does come to an end. And what Micah is helping us to see in these first verses is that God's patience for the northern kingdom, as he's addressing in these, in these first verses, he's addressing the northern kingdom, that God's patience has come to an end, and the marching, the, the footsteps of the Assyrian army can almost be heard, and that God, through the Assyrian army, is marching there toward the Israelites, toward the northern kingdom. And then we look at verse 4 again, and so, so Micah is saying, he, as he's speaking to the southern kingdom, he essentially is saying, "Don't be, t- take a lesson from these guys. In verse 4, it says, The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like, like water rushing down a slope. Mike is draw, he's using word pictures for us to help symbolize how, how defenseless we will be against God's judgment. Right? Think about the helplessness of these situations that have described a mountain melting before your eyes. Think about the picture of that, right? You go and, and maybe you go and visit Yosemite, right? And you see this, this, incredible, this in, incredible rock formation and think of that as maybe you've seen it on television or with your own eyes. Think of that just melting before you, right? He's, he's helping illustrate and visualize for us that we are defenseless against God's judgment. He says a a valley splitting beneath your feet. Imagine, right? We've seen it on the movies where where the earth cracks and and the person, right, their feet are are being spread apart as it's just cracking underneath them. He talks about the inability for a block of wax to maintain its shape by a fire. We've experienced those. And we go on then in verse 5. He says, all of this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. 
What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Micah is giving us reason. He's giving them reasons why God's judgment is on the move. It's because of their transgression and, and it's because of their sin. In a sense, he is saying that God's patience has run out. Throughout our study, we're going to learn more specifics regarding their transgressions and their sins that invited God's judgment. But for the sake of this morning's sermon and for, this, for the sake of time, we, we have to understand is that Micah is he's bringing to their attention that God, God's judgment is on the move. Now, church, understand, we should celebrate and remind ourselves of God's graciousness, of God's kindness. We should remind ourselves of God's patience toward us all right, it's true, as we, as we spent the, enti- the last two months talking about God's mercy there, seen for us there in the book of Jonah, it's true that God's mercy does hold back his wrath, giving us this opportunity to, to be led to, to repentance. But we should not forget God's judgment and that his patience does come to an end. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans? All right, Romans chapter 2. And again, so keep your, your finger there at the book of Micah. And the book of Romans then is in the New Testament. So you're turning toward, uh, toward the back of the book of, Michael, of, of the Bible. You'll have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans is where you're at. So if you hit that big book of Romans or a big book of Acts, just one more book away, Acts chapter 2, it talks about God's patience here. Romans chapter 2, again, keep your finger there at the book of Micah. We'll, we'll come back to that. Micah chapter 2, starting there in verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Okay? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And so God's Right, this, the patience that God is displaying to us, the kindness that God is, respla- is displaying to us, is, it's, there's a season to it. There is an expiration date coming where the patience, <laughs> God will still be kind, but in his response to sin, all right, and in his response to those who continue to, to dwell in wickedness, right, there's going to be this, there will be the time where his wrath is indeed poured out against them. Verse 5, it says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, what does he say? He says, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those, let's continue on, to those who, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, who who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Micah is he's, he's drawing the attention again to those people there in the southern kingdom. He's saying, learn from what's happening to the northern kingdom, that God's patience does run, run thin, and that, that he, his wrath will be poured out. His discipline will be executed among us. See, the, the Apostle Paul, he's echoing Micah's, war, Micah's warning. 
that yet we should be paying attention to God's holiness and we should be paying attention to his patience for a day is coming when your actions of your life and my life, when we will be held account for that. That there's a day coming when the Lord will again come down from his dwelling place. <laughs> See, we, Micah says, look, the Lord is coming, right? We also know that there's another day coming when, when the Lord will come again and he will call account, he will hold responsible the way in which we lived our life. You see, God's patience is not to be used as an excuse to sin and live a worldly life thinking that God will be all right with my wickedness because he's patient. Right? We don't take advantage of God's patience. Instead, God's patience is an invitation to us. That's paving the road of repentance for us. Where, where it says, we, we do, God is patient with us and he invites us to repent to return to him, to turn away from our wickedness and our sin and to come back to him. And so we should pay attention to that. Is that something in your own life that you pay, that you pay attention to? Where you pay attention to the fact that how you live and what you do and the decisions you make and the activities you involve yourself in, it matters. And God's patience it invites you, and he says, align, come back to me. Align yourself with, with the life that I have in mind for you. Well, then let's go on. The third one, then, is what else should we pay attention to? Pay attention to the devastation of God's judgment. I am, I, I'm not apologizing, but if you were coming here for more like a, a feel-good message, uh, you'll have to come back another week, possibly. <laughs> because this is, this is hard stuff, isn't it? But these are important things that we tend not to pay attention to. But Micah says you need to pay attention to it. Micah gives us a reason why God's judgment is on the move. He tells us that, that it's because of their sin. Then in verse 6, Micah, who's speaking of God's judgment, he describes the devastation of God's judgment. Follow along with me there in verses 6 and 7. Therefore... I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley. I will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be broken to pieces. All of her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes to the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. As, as he's speaking specifically of Samaria, again, the northern kingdom where Assyria is on the march there in 722, comes and conquers the northern kingdom, comes and lays siege to Samaria. All right? he's, he's talking about how God, God is taking credit for this destruction. He says, therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. Samaria was the capital of, of, the, nor of the northern kingdom. Samaria was the crown jewel of of the cities, of the beautiful cities of the northern kingdom. Samaria was constructed, uh, constructed of beautiful and exquisite stones. The buildings were covered with a style of masonry work that was unmatched in Palestine during this day. There was, a, there was a gorgeous palace that was built, and it was filled with luxurious amenities. In fact, the, promet, the prophet Amos, who I've mentioned already, who is prophesying to the northern kingdom, warning them of God's judgment, 
The prophet Amos, he speaks out against their, their idolatry, the, the way in which they are addicted, they are drunk with luxury, where he says in Amos 6.4, he says, Woe to those of you who lie on beds of ivory, giving us just a little glimpse into how luxurious and how beautiful the city was. Woe to those of you who lived on beds of ivory and stretched yourselves out on couches. See, Micah, he's warning the people of this city that however great their city is, he says that it will not stand up against God's judgment. It will come to ruin. It will come to devastation. You can read all about that in 2 Kings chapter 17, where the destruction of Samaria is recorded for us. For three years, the Assyrian army surrounded the city of Samaria, besieging it, bringing it to its ruin. Eventually, the city of, of Samaria was completely demolished by the Assyrian armies, armies. The building stones were indeed thrown into the valley, and the entire land was once again cultivated with vineyards, olive trees, and fig trees. You see, that the picture where, where he says, right, it will, it will be... I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations, right? And, and where it talks about that it will again be a place for planting vineyards. You can't plant vineyards when there's buildings there. So what he's saying is these buildings are going to be completely destroyed, so much so that you will one day again be able to have vineyards here. And indeed they did in years following. He's warning them that their city is going to come to complete ruin and devastation, He's reminding them that everything that the people of the northern kingdom placed their hope in, everything that they paid attention to, it all came to ruin. All that Israel had built and trusted in was completely undone. Their city, their buildings, their idols, their means of sensual indulgence and income, all that was once their pride and their boast, it now became a great shame as they were all marched off into exile with fish hooks in their mouth. It's important to note in this text that God doesn't shy away from taking responsibility for the destruction. God isn't looking for a PR agent to somehow put a positive spin on this story, right? He's not, he's not somehow trying to change the storyline to make them feel better about it, right? I think, the, I think the weight of this judgment should indeed sit heavy on our hearts. God's not trying to clean up his Yelp reviews for the devastation that, of judgment that he brings on Samaria, right? You look there, he says, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble in verse six. He says, he continues on, he says, I will pour her stones. In verse seven, he says, I will destroy all of her images. You see, God is holy, right? We learned that in the, first, in the first point, Micah, he says that the sovereign Lord, he sees, he knows that God, God is holy. God is patient with us. And yet God is also just, and he will judge, and his judgment will be devastating to those who are trusting in themselves rather than trusting in the Lord. For us, 
His judgment will be devastating to those who are trusting in themselves rather than trusting in Jesus. See, all of our earthly kingdoms, all of our misplaced hopes, the size of our house, the size of our business we build, the security of our our 401k, the length of our resume of good works, the morals that we might lean on, none of it will be able to stand against God's judgment if it's all focused and trusting in our own selves and focused in this world. And the final passage I'd like to, to land on and conclude with is in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. Go ahead and jump in. 2 Peter is way back at the end of the Bible. And you'll find uh, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3. If you hit First and Second and Third John, you've gone just a little bit too far. So basically, you can start with Revelation and put it in reverse, and you'll find 2 Peter there soon thereafter. The apostle, the apostle Peter is helpful to us in this instruction. And again, so, so what, what am I calling your attention to? I'm, I'm joining with Micah here and trying to call our attention that the world in which we live in, it, it's trying to distract us from some of these things that are most important to God. It's trying to distract us. It's, it's trying to, to convince us to, to put, time, put our time, put our efforts in all of these temporary things when we should be paying attention to what, what really matters to God. His holiness, that God is holy. And he's concerned about us living lives that are holy. That God is patient with us. And yet there, there's that time of patience in which... It, God, God will call our lives to an account and then also that, that God's judgment is coming. And for those who haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, it will be a, de- a judgment of great devastation for them that all of, the, all of their idols, all the things that they've trusted in in this world will not be able to stand. It'll be like heaps of rubble. And so 2 Peter has, a, has a helpful, uh, some con- helpful concluding words for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18, right? He says, but do not forget this one thing, okay? In a sense, Peter is saying, pay attention. Don't forget this this one thing. What do I want to remind you of, dear friends, he says? That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. There it is. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. Is God's intent, is, is it God's desire that everyone experience the, the devastation of his judgment? Peter says, absolutely not. He is patient with us. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Boy, that has echoes of Micah, doesn't it? Will melt like wax. You won't be able to hold back the streams that are coming down the mountain. He says it will all be destroyed by fire and everything in it and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So in verse 11... He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Keeping these truths in mind, paying attention to these truths, Peter isn't, he says, this should change how we live our lives. He says, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? 
Because God's concerned about our holiness. To live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming. So in this world, as we are looking and as we're paying attention to what is to come, it impacts how we live today and that it should cause us to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward, since you're paying attention to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, back in Romans 2, also wrote, with, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. And as they do, the other scriptures to their own destruction. But he says, therefore, dear friends, since you have been warned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever, now, and forevermore. Amen. See, Micah begins his prophetic record. Peter concludes his second letter. With the instruction, pay attention. Pay attention. Micah says, pay attention to God's holiness. And in so doing, pay attention to the holiness of your own life. Micah says, pay attention to God's patience. And in so doing, we should respond in repentance while we still have the opportunity. And Micah says, pay attention to God's judgment. And if we're paying attention to God's judgment, if, if like Peter says, we have that and we, we know that, that there's a day of accountability coming, then what does it mean? It, it means that we should strive to live holy lives. That we should strive to live lives wherein we're investing in that which is eternal. And that which will be able to stand firm on that last day. And so church, the instruction today, and hopefully a reminder for you tomorrow and the day after that, that as you begin the days, you say, God, today, I'm not going to worry about what happened yesterday. I'm not going to worry about what might come tomorrow. But Lord, today, teach me to pay attention to what really matters to you. And when, when I'm bombarded with all of these attention-seeking invitations, God, that I would turn my back to that and I would focus my attention on what matters to you. Would you pray with me? Father, um, we are thankful for Jesus and we are thankful that Jesus indeed took on himself the judgment that we deserve 
And so, Lord, help us not to lose that truth in this sermon. God, I pray that you would just awaken our own hearts. And God, that uh, you would allow us, that you would help us to evaluate our own lives. And to truly consider what is it that we're paying attention to. Lord, take your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen.